Welcome back. So last time we ended with Jessica and I finally getting to a place where we had a chance to rest and think about just the events that are taking place earlier in that day. And um, the new day came upon us and we were definitely glad to see it. We were happy to um, have a full night's rest. Um, by the way, she, Jessica is here, so you can... Hey, everyone. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we had a chance to have a full night's rest. And the first task at hand was for us to find a way to get to the Sending Hope International Home which was three hours away from where we were at the time. Yeah, we had to figure out how we were going to get there with our stuff and um, basically had an address of a hotel that we were going to be staying there, but no one we knew could get us there. Yeah, so at this point, we were able to make contact with the team in Thailand, which was a blessing. Mm -hmm. We were also able to make contact with the home the the leader of the home in Cambodia so that was also good as well so we at least had a few things in place but like Jessica said we had to find a way there i'm not 100% sure why we didn't have any kind of um any kind of contacts but i guess Dave and the other team members they weren't able to connect us with someone. So through the hotel, Jessica and I, we arranged to be picked up by a tuk-tuk. And if you don't know what a tuk-tuk is, it is a motorcycle that's got like a little wagon cabin thing hooked to the back of it. Mostly covered um, like an overhead uh, protection from the sun, but open air, wind blowing everything through the main place where you're sitting. Yeah, and in the most respectful way possible, everything that you think Cambodia looks like, you probably would be right. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, you know, it was hot and it was dusty and there's motorcycles and tuk-tuks everywhere zipping all around. There's um, so, no right or wrong way on the road in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, yep. So whatever goes. So we were able to arrange uh, tuk-tuk through our, the little motel that mm -hmm. we stayed at and we went and we got something to eat and uh, he kind of just took us around a little bit and in a short period of time we got pretty comfortable with him and he was able to connect us with a taxi service to yeah. take us to um, Batambang which was like I said three hours away. Yeah so he spoke some really good English and um, seemed to know his way around the town for sure and um he even tried to give us his Facebook page and some different things like that to stay in touch with us. But he was really kind and just honestly a really small blessing in our day to make that connection and um, just to kind of give us some freedom and, and relaxation and let us enjoy his town. Yeah, so after just that little launch time, he connected us with that taxi driver. We went back to the hotel, we got our stuff, and then we started to make the drive north um, three hours. Now I say North, but it's really interesting. So the way the towns were, it was almost like a giant half circle. You can't get there directly. You kind of have to drive around just the way the lay of the land is. And you drive kind of like in this, 
this half circle, this C-shaped uh, route to go from one point to the next. I, I thought that was um, just another little interesting thing that I, I noticed when I looked at the map to see where we were and where we were going, the route we were taking to get there. Um, so there's a couple just quick little interesting things about that three-hour drive um, that made things a little uncomfortable, to say the least. Yeah, so we're meeting this guy. We don't have a clue who he is, obviously. And this gentleman, our taxi, did not speak any English whatsoever, nor did he attempt to connect or speak to us with his hands or anything in any way. So basically our luggage went in the trunk and we got in the back seat and we are supposed to trust that this stranger is taking us three hours in the correct direction, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, without any chance to ask a question or clarify anything whatsoever. So needless to say, uh, this might have been my second look of, I'm not sure if I can trust this, Cedric. <laughs> yeah, so um, so our tuk-tuk driver literally told him where we were going, gave him the address. I mean, Jessica's not exaggerating, no English at all. I don't even think he attempted to connect with us in any way. I don't and think we, a smile or nothing. nothing. Yeah, he just threw our stuff in and um, we... Uh, we hit the road. So we're driving to our destination. I'm not sure how long into the trip, but... I feel like it was like 45 minutes, and we were definitely out in the middle of nowhere. So quickly after we got out of the city, we realized how open and flat the land was. Uh, There was plenty of wide open space with mountains off in the far distance and you'd see a random temple popped up here or there and there was cattle spread out through some of the land and um, they hold a special place for the people and and with religion and um, so they kind of have some rule over the land but it was definitely wide open space and just this road uh, with not hardly anything to stop at, look at in between. And then we all of a sudden are slowing down and we pull off the side of the road. And my heart just was beating out of my chest (laughs) of anxiety of what was going on. And, uh, you know, worse fears start to creep in and, and thoughts of like, is this guy literally dropping us off? Are we being robbed? Is he going to take our stuff? Is he going to leave us here? Um, what is happening? And we can't ask any questions. And so he's pulled off and a gentleman walks from a shed type thing with some tools in his hands, I think. And uh, we're asked to get out of the car and then they open the trunk and take our luggage out and <laughs> and set us on literally the side of the road. And I look over and this old dude is sleeping in a hammock in between these two trees. And um, we're kind of just watching and, and anxiety a little bit of what, what is going on and what does this look like? And it ended up, he was getting his tires changed, I think. Right. Yeah. He, <laughs> he just kind of pulled the spare tire out of the trunk that was underneath all of our stuff. And yeah. I guess the guy was just changing a tire. Um, so 
we sat there for about 15, 20 minutes and he changed the tire and paid the guy. And um, also, interestingly enough, the guy had a cooler with like water and drinks mm-hmm. and stuff in it. And that guy bought us like a couple of bottles of water yeah. and just kind of like handed it to us and put our stuff back in and signaled for us to get back in the car. And then we were on our way. Great example of how fear can, you know, overrule a situation, but it, we were perfectly fine. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And we just laugh about that today. Yeah. So we drove through a few more towns. There was not a ton of things to see, but the little that was there, it was, it was very beautiful. So we finally get to our destination, um, which the way the Sending Hope home was set up in Cambodia, they didn't have housing for for missionaries and for guests coming in. So they have an arrangement um, with like a little hotel kind of thing that was close by. So the taxi driver took us there. We They knew we were on our way. We got settled in. We made contact with um, Vote, and that's her name. She was the, the, the head of the home there in in Cambodia. So we made contact with her and she told us what time she was going to come and get us. So we got there safely, thankfully, and um, we we got settled in just for a little bit of time. Um, and then Vote came and picked us up and we we were greeted with hugs and, and smiles. And and we, we had never met this woman before, but somehow we, we, we felt very comfortable. We felt like we had known her our entire life. She was elated to see us and we were very happy to see to see her so we make this really short drive again on a tuk-tuk from the hotel to the sending hope home and we we get there and we pull into the driveway we hop out of the tuk-tuk we walk into the home and it's not an exaggeration that this is when honestly jessica and i's lives were changed forever Yeah, so we were greeted by 10 little girls, um, and I say, I think they were 6 to probably 14, 15 in there, and their hearts just were beaming to see us. They were so excited. Um, They were hugging and, you know, greeting us and saying hello, and, and they knew some English words and different things like that, so they were greeting us. And it just really filled us with joy. So they were excited to see us and they really wanted us to, they had these, they had two chairs kind of like (laughs) sitting in the middle of the room and they signal for Jessica and I to sit and we sit in these chairs. They kind of position themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, They press play on this little tiny radio boombox thing they had and they start to sing worship music and And motions with their hands as well for it yeah and they had like a little yeah like they had motions and dances and and jessica and i's our hearts our hearts just melted Mm -hmm. um and the first song that they sang um is is, it's the song Ten Thousand reasons bless the lord um, by Matt Redman, and the song goes, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship 
your holy name. And these these 10 little voices sing this song like they were singing for the king and the queen. Yeah. Like they like they were singing for a royal guest, mm-hmm. um, which happened to be Jessica and I. And in that moment, every single thing that had happened the day before had had just gone away. Right. We we knew right in that moment why we were there. Yeah, God truly used that moment to clarify his plan for us for that rest of the week and the following week. And we were just truly blessed. And um, I think it goes back to say that we don't have to speak the same language and we don't have to um, do the same ways of worship, but God is always glorified when we sing his name. The first verse of that song says, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. And it was it was a perfect song because we we had literally just experienced that. Right. We 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 had this unbelievable turn of events happen that we didn't plan on and then we walk into to a home with 10 little girls singing this song and it was a great reminder that whatever was in front of us our responsibility is still to be singing the praises of God our responsibility is still to be doing the things that he has had called us to do so after that initial moment and they sang one or two more songs but after that first song like I said we knew right away um that we we didn't get there until a little later at night. So we weren't there very long. They sang. We spent a little bit of time with them. We went back to the motel where we were staying. And Jessica and I looked at each other that night and we said, you know, this is this is really interesting because it, we, all of a sudden, we have 10 daughters now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said in the previous podcast, we... We have an eight-year-old son, so we're not parents of girl of, of, <laughs> of girls. But for for a week, we we had ten daughters. Correct. Yeah, they they really worked their way into our hearts almost instantly, and um, throughout the week, they definitely solidified their spots there for sure. <laughs> so the next morning, we go back, and they again are really excited to to see us and. We we dive right in. I mean, we we did everything from read stories to them to play games with them. I remember there was just this really natural, organic moment where they all sat down and through translation, um, the one of the staff members said, "Hey, they want you to teach them a Bible lesson. They yeah. want they want a Bible lesson." So I. I said, okay, so we, we sat down, they sat around, Jessica and I, um, and I, I decided to teach on courage, um, because I thought Mm -hmm. it was, it was applicable. So we, we, uh, we turned to Judges 6 and I, and I share the story of Gideon and, and kind of like paint this picture of who Gideon was and, and, um, who he was in stature and how God used him anyway, because of his courage. 
Right. So we, we talked about that and talked about that to the girls and like tried to see how that would be in their lives. We prayed over that portion of scripture scripture and we, we used that and asked them, how do they have courage every day in their lives? And what are some of the ways that they could gain courage? Um, what situations that could be? And their answers came down to standing up for what is right Uh, basically standing up for the gospel, not being afraid um, for their friends and family who might question them on that. And then also they had some real fears of and and courage that they wanted to not be afraid of being kidnapped or being harmed, Um, which kind of opened up some of the, the trials and pains that they had gone through to get there or maybe what their family was already facing. But they knew that they had to have courage for that. Yeah, I mean, we heard the story of one girl who found out about Sending Hope and basically just through contacts, contacts of family members made her way to the Sending Hope home. Yeah. And I think it it really slapped Jessica and I in the face because we had just gone through the ups and downs of getting there. But then hearing these stories um, just was a blessing to hear about just the level of courage that each of those girls had. Um, and not just them, but the staff members that were taking care of them as as well. So throughout that day we we did a number of things. We we uh, we helped in the garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point they took us to another section of land that they had that they used to to grow crops and it was also the place where they put on their summer camp to to share the gospel to other children in their community. Right. So Sending Hope is an organization that they'll build houses for the girls to live in with the chaperones and then also eventually have multiple buildings to host multiple families of girls. And this Cambodia campus was in the younger stages and and had established a good amount of girls, but they hadn't built up the land to where they wanted it to be yet. So the land that we were going to was actually the future site of Sending Hope. And there was a good-sized building there, um, but the land was just really open, and they had been doing a lot of work putting in plants and crops, um, waterways, and things that would grow food for the girls and the staff um, to have a supply of food in the future, but also when they had plenty that they would be able to sell at markets to have an income for the organization. So each day that we were with them, we either would go there to do some work or pray over the land. They were very intentional about praying for over the crops that they planted and, and the different people that came onto that property. And that was um, really inspiring that they didn't take any day for granted and they didn't take any part of the process of preparing the land. They wanted to make sure that they always gave thanks to God for giving them the land and always asked God to bless whatever they did on the land that day. And that was inspiring. Yeah, very much, very much so. It was it was inspiring. Uh, that first day, in fact, uh, they needed some, really some muscle yeah. to... <laughs> To get some things done on the the land that Jessica was talking about. So after long, after devotions in the morning and lunch, uh, well, actually just after devotions and, and breakfast, I should say, we went to that 
to, to that land. And I mean, we did everything from plant trees and flowers to move dirt around and um, we cleaned up a little bit. I mean, we, we just we just got there and hit the ground running and and was able to put a lot of um, work into helping them develop that that land. And it was just it was really it was a really unique experience because we don't know if we would have been able to have that kind of focus attention on each of the girls mm. because if the, if the if the rest of the team was with us so each day we really saw that uh we saw that as a blessing um the next uh the next few days were were very similar in that every morning we went there we had devotions with them we ate with them we helped them around the house we helped them around um the the farm and the land uh, one of the mornings uh they again they wanted they wanted bible studies every day and it, actually it was morning and night mm-hmm. um and one of the mornings uh, i just taught on on the importance of of faith and we we read through a portion of of hebrews and it was it was really interesting but later that day we went to the we went to the land to do some more work, but on the way back, we we decided to walk. Um, they right. everyone was like, you know what, let's not ride. And it took like let's walk, and it wasn't it wasn't a, a terribly um, no, it's not it a long walk. Yeah, it wasn't a long walk. It wasn't very far away, but they wanted to walk, and it was a very unique experience. Just kind of walk us through what took place. Yeah. So the girls wanted to walk and show us things along the way, and help us to see the people of the land that they were going to be living around and the neighbors. They took time to stop at so many houses and Vote would be there to um, kind of like make sure that they were doing what they should be doing. But the girls took charge and always asked the adults, like, how could we pray for you? Or do you know Jesus? Or just questions about the, their faith and their current struggles and how could they help them in that time. Um, it was really touching to see them have courage, like we had talked about a couple of nights before, but also that they took ownership of their faith and knew that they had to ask. They couldn't just walk by these houses without asking, do you know God? Do you know my Savior? Do you know um, what he can do for you and the peace that he could bring you. And um, that was truly impacting. And we actually walked up to a house that was really pretty close to their land. And this story was, um, there was two sisters and they were older, but they were survivors of the genocide that went through Cambodia a few years back. And their their story impacted me because the one sister asked for um, a healing for her sister that was sitting right there. Um, she was selfless in the fact that she's like, I just want my sister to not be hurting anymore. And she she apparently had breast cancer and couldn't get the medicines that she needed. And um, her greatest fear was losing her sister after she had lost the rest of her family. And um, all those little girls literally just surrounded her and laid hands on her 
and we just prayed for the sister and her body and and the healing that could take place or the peace and comfort that could take place in the, her final days and that was that was really moving and touching that they believe in the power of prayer and they believe that our God can do anything and they wanted to make sure that that woman knew that too through their faith. Yeah, it was it was very humbling to watch these 10 girls like Jessica said were walking back to the home mm -hmm. and every person that was either on their front porch or in their front yard or along the the road we were walking every single person they stopped and asked can we pray for you or do you live here or do you need help or do you like she said do you know do you know Jesus and this is interesting because in Cambodia they have to be very careful about how they share mm -hmm. about any religion that isn't um that isn't Buddhism or or one of the other religions that are practiced so the fact that these girls they knew this and was so bold enough to to say, hey, you know, this is what I believe and I'm, I want to and I'm willing to share it. That in and of itself was also was also very encouraging. Um, I thought it was interesting as well that later that day, one of the girls was, and this was a very, I mean, she's probably the smallest girl there. And she was very proud of herself for having courage to do that. And... and knowing that we had just got done teaching or, you know, having a, a little devotional on, on courage. So it was, it was very, uh, it was just magnetizing to be with, with, with those girls in that, in that environment. I think the other girls of the house call, started calling her Gideon. And that was always funny in the house because she was the smallest and the least of them, but she had the courage to do that that day. And that was a funny thing that they were teasing her about. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're realizing that we, we're there to be an encouragement to them, but what they're not realizing is how much of an encouragement they were actually being to us. Um, one of those days we, we decided, you know, the girls, we, we got done with another day of, of work out in the yard and, and helping and cleaning and, and Jessica and I really, we love being in the kitchen. We love cooking and we love mm -hmm. We love that that kind of thing. And we said, you know what, let's go and help in the kitchen. Let's go and help. Because the other ladies that were that were responsible for the girls in the home, they just because of their culture, they were very much in the background. They didn't talk very much and you didn't see them very much. But we wanted to spend some time with them as well. So Jessica and I said, Hey, you know what, let's go into the kitchen and let's help and and I think they were they were so surprised by that. Yeah. They they were shocked mm -hmm. that we even stepped foot into the kitchen. Yeah, it definitely was their house, um, their section of the house and their rules. And the sheer fact that we wanted to get to know them or work alongside them took them back. And then um, once they realized that we came from a genuine place of wanting to actually help and do it the way they wanted us to do, they were actually willing to teach us. Um, at first, they didn't think that we could do anything or... Uh, we may have cut the tomatoes or the the <laughs> fruits um, the wrong way, which if you're from any other country, you know there is a right and a wrong way, um, cultural or not. It's definitely, I've had my hand smacked many of times in different countries for that. <laughs> um, 
but when we worked alongside them and was able to have some conversations about how did God bring them to sending hope? What was their stories? What what made them want to be there day in and day out with those girls when they had their own families or came from their own families? And I think, I think not having the distractions of leading our own team and having all of our team there with us, we were able to get to know not only the girls one-on-one, but the workers one-on-one and just pour love over them and um, show that we cared and we were there for them as much as the girls. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised that if when other people visited, they were there for the girls and just trying to save the girls or impact the girls, but to truly see the hands and the feet of Christ who were serving those girls and uh, talk with them, I think that made a huge difference. Yeah, one of the girls, I'm sorry, not one of the girls, one of the one of the staff members had really taken a liking to, to Jessica and she kind of explained the story of why she committed to to helping um she she had told the story of she when she was younger she um, was taken by some people for exploitation and um was basically imprisoned in this home and she said she remember she was she was kind of like so they so they like dug a hole in the ground of this bedroom and they that and they that's kind of where they put the girls that they that they took for exploitation and for and for sex work and she was in this hole and she said she remembered just crying loudly like yelling loudly mm-hmm. for someone to hear her and she said she remembered saying if there's a god out there just come and please please save me and not long after that someone had heard her cry and right. And they realized that someone in that home was was in danger, and she was rescued. Yeah. And she she committed that day to help. Well, she gave her life to the Lord, and then committed that day to helping anyone else that was in that was in that situation. Yeah, it was unreal when she was telling us that, and the fact that she called out to God, and a real God. She knew that the gods of her country weren't real, the ones who saved her, and that he did an actual action to save her from that situation. Um, and just to watch her life that transformed from that minute, she had to go into that hole, an actual hole, um, to be put in that moment to call out for God to save her. And he he really did. He saved her both ways and changed her life and impacted her. And she's she said that she was able to serve those girls and help them through that time because she knew what it was like to be in some of their situations, actually. That night on the way back to the motel, I remember Vote saying, she's like, I'm so thankful that you and Jessica are here because each each conversation we had with them they felt like it was a personal touch it felt like we were there for just them and that that has nothing that says nothing again uh, about the other members of our team because mm-hmm. when they finally got there i mean not only was it 
a celebration of hey you guys mm-hmm. are alive and we were happy to see you and they they were able to dive in head first and we got a ton of work done that mm-hmm. week and we put on a successful camp and children from the neighborhood came in and the gospel was shared and we worked alongside the world race team and and actually we we've created some friendships as a result right. of that that still that still exists today yeah. um so it, it's not to say that those things weren't great but she she made a point to say that she knew why we were there and it mm-hmm. was it was so that they could have that personal touch for a few days before the rest of the team the rest of the team got there i mean we we, we did so many things during that week they were excited they were excited to show us uh, not just their home and their the land that mm-hmm. they were working themselves, but they wanted to show us um, just around uh, just the different places around their community. Yeah, there was down the road. I think we traveled half an hour down the road to this little outdoor market place, and we got there, and it was really interesting to see the different. Uh, makeshift tents set up and the different carts that were set up with all the fruits and vegetables and things that we're not accustomed to here in the U.S. or um, jackfruits that were unreal in size and just the great variety that is out there in the world that we're not used to every day. And right in this market is this enormous tree. And this tree you would swear was a black tree. You remember this? The, this tree was black in color, but not because of the leaves, but the number of bats that yeah. were hanging on this tree. And I'm kind of shaking just thinking about it. But you could hear them screeching, and it's the middle of the day, and it's bright out, but they're in this tree, and these bats are minimum a foot long. It is scary how big they are yeah at first glance you you just think that's the tree mm-hmm. and, and you know they and it's so funny i we, we kind of knew something was up because the girls were kind of snickering and and kind of doing the things that that little children do and they know something's up um and yeah we, we we're kind of walking toward the tree and i mean we weren't like incredibly close to it but no. but close enough to to realize that wow, yeah, this is this is an interest. This tree has interesting foliage, um, and <laughs> and then we realize that there's a noise that's that's not normal mm-hmm. coming from a tree, and then that closer look, like Jessica said, I mean, just giant bats hanging from from the tree. So you know, not only were we um, providing personal touch and care for them that week, but they were doing the same with for us, and they showed us around. I mean, we ate everything from sticky rice that was cooked and baked into bamboo shoots to whole fried frogs that the girls uh, prepared themselves Mm -hmm. to um, curried fish and salted pork and just 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 all of these things that they were Mm -hmm. so excited to to share with us um, because we had spent so much time with them because we were we were there we were there for them um i remember one of the nights we we were kind of we were kind of finishing up with dinner and i i taught another lesson um and there was one girl in particular she she was very welcoming and open open but but you can tell there was still a level of 
of reservation about Jessica and I. And I just remember seeing her walk next to Jessica and just inadvertently just put her arm around her as if she was saying, okay, you know what, now I'm comfortable. Mm. And it was just a picture of, it was just really a picture of, of what it's like to be in a relationship with God. I mean, we, we, there's, there's, there's no way for Jessica and I to do the, the, the story of the things that took place in that seven day period justice mm-hmm. in, in a two episode podcast. I mean, we could really spend the entire season of the podcast talking about it. I mean, there's just story after story, big, medium, small um, stories that, that just took place that just took place during that time. And, um, and the words do no justice to the actual feelings and, and emotions that were going on at that time. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we've, we've, we've thought about this so many times over the last two, three years since it's happened. And it's just one of those, it's one of those things that I think you don't, you, most people just don't get to experience um, if you're outside of full-time ministry, you know, mm-hmm. for those of us that are pastors and we have the the great opportunity to teach and preach, um, like I said, not just in in our own in our own countries, but around the world. And I think the thing that is most encouraging is, you know, for for pastors, pastors' wives. And their families, sometimes you feel isolated. You right. feel like you're the only people doing what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You feel like no other church is going through this. No other pastor is going through this. No other family is going through it. And we went halfway around the world. And we, we actually met another pastor, the pastor of the church that they went to there. Mm-hmm. And in it just quickly in conversation, we realized, wait a second. These people are doing the same thing that we're doing. They... They're fighting for the same thing that that we're fighting for, um, and it was it was an encouragement. Um, it's not it's not the easiest job in the world, but in so many ways, it is the most fulfilling the most fulfilling job in the world. And 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 it's just it's such a blessing to be to be a part of that. Yeah, you you go halfway around the world and find other believers who are putting in the work who are walking the pavement, you know, as the old school would say, um, who are, who are meeting people one-on-one and who are discipling young girls and the youth to have a fireness and, um, a deep love for who Christ is to teach them, not just, the kid time stories, but to actually be reading the Bible morning and night and diving in to know what the scriptures truly say, and then making like, they can't stay silent. They have to go out and tell others. And, um, that's such an encouragement as a believer, when you feel that the world is taking over and the world is winning, um, and to know that, Anytime that that thought comes across my mind, I'm like, no, there are people in Cambodia fighting for Christ. There are people in the Bahamas fighting for Christ. There are people in New York and California and all the people that we know who are fighting for Christ and fighting the good fight um, to advance the kingdom. 
really thinking about that and thinking about those girls just knowing that they the impact that they're going to have for the kingdom in their area. Yeah. So the the rest of the week was was a huge success. Uh, mm-hmm. Our team got there and we put on a successful camp. I mean, there were just children from from everywhere um in the surrounding communities and even places that weren't so close that came to the camp that we put on that week and we were able to share the gospel we were able to to serve meals to some children that had just didn't have uh a lot to eat um we we worked alongside uh the other group of women that were from the world race team uh, we we sang songs, we shared meals, we went on prayer walks, we shoveled dirt, <laughs> we had a water balloon fight, we we did all of these things, and and that trip has really changed, has really changed our lives. Um, you know, we we ask all the time. I ask all the time, as a as a spiritual leader and as a pastor that lives in Northeast Ohio and I'm from the Bahamas and there's so many little bits and pieces of, of, of how God has orchestrated my life and my, the life that I share with my wife and our son. And we ask all the time, how, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. How do we get here? What, what are we supposed to do? And that, that trip really is a giant puzzle piece to not just my story, not just Jessica's story, but our story together and mm-hmm. our story in ministry together. Um, one of the one of the, one of the most unique things that happened on that trip that I will never forget is it's the first time I ever baptized someone, and I. We, we had a baptism service for two of the girls that had never been baptized and they wanted me to baptize them. And uh, outside of baptizing my own son, mm. it is, it, it's up there. It, it, that, that, that experience is up there for me. And I'm very thankful to, to God for, for that experience. Um, it's, it's never, it's never easy to be, to, to be told no especially when that no is no, you're not entering this country. It's never easy to be told, just go and I will orchestrate the rest of it. Um, saying that to someone with my personality and even my wife's personality, we, <laughs> we like to be planned out. So saying that to people like us is scary. But God said... And we're strong people. We're yeah. strong-willed people. <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, it's true. We're both very strong-willed people. So for that to be said to us, it is very uncomfortable to to have God say, just trust me, just go where I'm telling you to go, say what I'm telling you to say, be where I'm telling you to be, uh, believe what I believe in me. Um, it's it's amazing to see to see what happens when when we're obedient. Mm-hmm. So we we really we're thankful that you've allowed us to. To share this experience with you, um, it is it's something that we honestly believe doesn't happen for a lot of people that's outside of ministry. Sure, if you have a home church and you've been on a trip, you know that there's. The, I'm sure you have stories that are similar, but it's and ministry is always impacting. That's yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it always is impacting, and 
so we we've we've been appreciative that we have this opportunity to share the story and it's taken some time but we are glad that we have this story uh, a lot of times you go back and you think man i wish that wasn't a part of my story but i'm happy that this is a part of our story. I didn't enjoy the feeling of being scared and being turned away. But if I had to do it all over again to get mm-hmm. the end result of what Jessica and I um, got as a result of that, we would we would a hundred percent do it again. Yeah, over and over for sure. The the benefits far outweighed the trouble that we went through, and um, if we weren't shaken as much as we were. And just relied on the knowledge that we knew of who God was and his character and um, the way he always provides for us. And if we didn't really just hone in on that truth and keep that in our minds, then we would not have been able to see the rest of the blessings that he would have laid out. And if we would have let fear take over us or if we would have let um, uncertainty just rest in our hearts, then we would have missed out on so many blessings that week um, and missed out on blessing others. The The rest of that song says, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. So bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Bless you, Lord. We hope that this has been an encouragement to you. If you find yourself stuck, um, start by blessing the Lord because our our hearts can find 10,000 reasons to bless his holy name. If you want to know what's the what's the next move, what's the what's the next best thing to do is trust in God. Trust that he has you where you are for a reason and when he is done with you being where you are he will move you on to the next place so how do we get here we got here because of obedience to god himself and to putting trust in what his word says and what he has for us Uh, this is the how did i get here podcast we are thankful that you were with us today If you have not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. We are available wherever you can get podcasts. Give us a rating, leave comments if you have questions, if you have suggestions, uh, if you have things that you want to hear pastors talk about, or if 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 you have things that you want to know more about in reference to ministry, please leave us those comments. I'm very thankful to my wife, Jessica, for being with um, myself on the podcast for the last two episodes. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is the How Did I Get Here podcast. Bye.